Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. It's a real joy this week to be talking to Sam Albury. People will know Sam from his work uh, on the Gospel Coalition, on Living Out with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. I mean, the list goes on. Um, so we're really thrilled that he took time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about his latest book, Seven Myths About Singleness. So it's great to be talking to Sam Albury, um, who has just written a book. I say just written it. It's at least it's just been published. You probably wrote it, you know, forever ago. Um, and I don't know if you can even remember what you put in it. But anyway, it's seven myths about we'll singleness. Yeah, exactly. We'll find out. Seven myths about singleness. Um, so, Sam, I'm um, 44 and single. And in the last 25 years, I've read a lot of books on singleness. I've tried to avoid reading a lot of books on singleness because they're, they're quite repetitive and... Um, yeah, I find they, they don't always really speak to my particular situation. There is stuff out there on this. Why do you think we need another book on singleness? That's a very good question. Why do we need another book on anything is always a good question. Um, I, th- I think certainly I've, I've read a number of books myself. We've probably read some of the same ones. Um, and there's certainly some good stuff out there. My My impression has been much of it is written by single people for single people and especially by single women for single women and I was I was keen to, to write something that would be on singleness for the whole church um, trying to help the whole church think through singleness show them why they need to think through singleness and then how to in a way that I hope will help all of us so that was the, that was the thinking um, partly for the UK, where it's it's not always easy being single in Christian circles, I think as well it's it's even harder in the States. And we, at least over here, have a history of single Christian leaders like John Stotts and Dick Lucas, which they don't have in the States. So even the kind of positive role models we've had seem to be absent there quite a bit as well. So... Yeah, I hope it, I hope it's it's designed to be a book not for singles, although I hope singles will read it and find it helpful. But really, a book for the church. So that's really how I've tried yeah, to aim it. Very interesting. It definitely reads um, very differently from from a lot of those other books. And I was thinking about um, what made it feel different to me as I was reading it. And one of the things is I think a lot of books about singleness and a lot of teaching about singleness more generally starts with the presumption that we all want to be married that really if we all could just get married we would and that would be much better and what we need to learn if we're single is how to cope with this awful thing that you know that we're dealing with um and it was it was really nice to have a book I mean you sort of mentioned in the conclusion at the end that you were aiming to write a book about the goodness of singleness and that you know that kind of leads you on to think about other things but actually to see singleness itself as a positive um experience um was really refreshing um to me certainly reading it um, well i hope so I, I didn't i didn't want to start with that starting point that you've mentioned i didn't want i didn't want to kind of reinforce that assumption well you know I don't want the first page of the book to be sorry you're reading this, sorry we're talking about this, sorry you're single, isn't this awful, let's try and yeah. eke something vaguely positive out of it. 
Um, <laughs> and that's is... what the Bible's starting point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is a chapter you come on to, sort of, and it's the last chapter about some of the things that are not easy about being single, but actually that isn't where the book starts. And yet, I do think um, there is a prevailing attitude in our churches as well as in wider society that being single is just so awful that it would be the worst thing to wish on somebody. Where does that come from? Why do we why do we view singleness so negatively so often, do you think? I think it comes partly from culture. So so culture is generally speaking making an enormous fuss over romantic and sexual fulfilment. So we've we've kind of downgraded other forms of relationship, other forms of intimacy and friendship. And we've really put all the eggs in that basket. So that is the way to, the primary primary way to lead a full life is to have romantic and sexual fulfilment. Um, so our culture as a whole doesn't really have a concept of being single and celibate. Mm. You can be sing you can be single and playing the field, sure. and if that's your thing, that's great. But in terms of being romantically or sexually unattached, we don't really have a category for that in our wider culture. And I think what we've done in the church is we've we've taken the that basic idol of romantic fulfilment and we've given it a very light Christian coating and just said, well, as long as we call it Christian marriage, mm. we can basically run with the same premise. Mm. So I think what we've done is we've taken that and just try to import it into a kind of Christian framework and so we're now thinking Christian marriage equals the way to be romantically fulfilled mm. equals how to be fulfilled in life and I think it's easy to do that because the Bible does talk about marriage a lot and in very positive terms and you know we see in that sort of um, passage in Ephesians 5 how marriage is that picture of um, Christ's relationship with the church and so we see marriage as having this very exalted point of view but I think often we don't then see beyond that that actually the whole point of that is that marriage is not the ultimate good you know marriage is great but it is great in the way that the tabernacle or the temple were great but it would be foolish to hold on to those in the light of the reality and in the same way marriage is great but it is not the reality and it is not the ultimate good and I think if we told that story better um, we might have a slightly different view of why of, you know not putting marriage on quite such a pedestal maybe. I think so and I think part of it at least is in response to the cultural trends about rethinking family and marriage and all the rest of it I think we're trying one of the things we've done unwittingly is in our in our attempted defence of marriage, we've ended up, I think, exalting it as an end in itself, rather than as a, as a means to an end. And mm. part of that, is, as you've just said, is that it, it's part of its primary function is to point beyond itself, which means that, that if we take the Ephesians 5 model of marriage, it, it helps us to both really dignify marriage and solemnise it, solemnise it, is that yeah. the word? Um, without without worshipping it, yes. Because the very thing that gives it its dignity and solemnity is is that it points beyond itself to a much a much greater marriage. So it, yeah. it's not in itself the thing that fulfills us. It's meant to point to the thing that fulfills us. So it's got it. It's got its own built in mm. 
I think I'm making up another word now. Temporality. Oh, nice. Ooh. Transience. That's not the word it, it should be. <laughs> Transience, maybe. Sort of impermanence. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. it's got um, not, not quite in the way that my kettle has got a built-in redundancy, but that, <laughs> that sort of... It's not designed to be permanent. Yes. Yeah. And so we can't make it ultimate. Yeah. But we can... We can and I think I'm borrowing this from C.S. Lewis. If you love God first and your your husband or wife second, you will end up loving your husband or wife more than if you love them first. If yeah. we put marriage in its proper big picture context, we will end up honouring it more than if we put it on the pedestal and make it the big, yeah. the big thing. So I think I I didn't think of this till after I wrote the book, but I, it it occurred to me that the reason we have misunderstandings of singleness is really because we have misunderstandings of marriage yeah. anytime we're thinking unbiblically or without the without a biblical sense of proportion about singleness it normally means we've we've not got something right about marriage so the book yeah. could just as easily have been seven myths about marriage great really um, helpful that would have been a, I probably would have sold more copies if i well you know you could do the um, follow-up and you basically <laughs> hardly have to do any work and people either read one or the other and um, that, hardly anyone will read both, so there you go. <laughs> but that, that's why that's why I want it to be a, a book for the whole church because yeah. I think it it will help married people to be better honouring their marriages to better understand singleness. Quite mm. apart from the fact that half of them are going to be single again anyway. Yeah, point. absolutely, and that's such an important point, isn't it? I mean, we see the transience of marriage played out constantly I mean I think in the book you mentioned your grandfather my you know my grandmother was widowed for as long as she was married I mean it just you know we are kidding ourselves if we think that marriage is ever permanent because we see so clearly that it isn't anyway let's move on I was really struck by um the way you discuss uh that phrase that has so often um been used to kind of bash people over the head really the gift of singleness and, you know, so you sometimes hear people saying, oh, well, I, I don't have the gift of singleness, so I must get married. And then you also sometimes hear people say, well, if you're single, you have the gift of singleness. So, you know, sort of just like it or lump it, even if that's not a gift you would ever have chosen to receive. Um, but just explain uh, what you think Paul is talking about when he describes singleness as a gift in that sort of way. Yes, well, whatever he's talking about, it's it's parallel to whatever he means by the gift of marriage, because he says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, each has their own gift, one has this, the other has that. In the context, he's talking about marriage and singleness. So there's there's a, an analogy between the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. So he can't just be saying, well, if you're single and don't like it, that probably means you don't have the gift of singleness, and that's a reason why you should get married. Otherwise, what's to stop someone who's struggling in a difficult season of marriage from saying, well, I'm married, but I don't like it. Maybe I don't have the gift of marriage. And so I just need to get out of it. And it's, it's, um, it just doesn't make sense. And I've, I've heard it used as a justification for sin. Well, I'm, I'm same-sex attracted. I'm single, but I don't have the gift of singleness. Therefore, I need to be in a relationship. So it's God's fault, really. Um, so I've seen people justifying illicit forms of relationship on the basis that they don't have, in quotes, the gift of singleness. So whatever it is or isn't, it, it can never, God's word can never be used as an excuse for disobedience. So, and given what Paul goes on to say about the value of singleness, um, just as what he goes on to say in other places about the value of marriage, 
The gift of singleness is the state of being single. Your singleness is a gift, and like the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, that the point of the gift is not you, the point of the gift is others. So just as marriage is not meant to be an end in itself, it is meant to be a gift through which the common good can be served, so too with singleness. The, the point of my singleness and your singleness is that it can be used to serve the Lord, um, that we use the, the flexibility and freedom we have not to live selfishly and fulfil ourselves, but to, to be of service to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so helpful to see it as that kind of positive thing. All the other gifts that Paul talks about, we recognise are positive things for building up the church. You know, whether that's your gift of administration or your gift of teaching or your gift of encouraging or whatever it is you use those to build up the church. So to see our singleness or indeed our marriage as a gift that is to be used for the benefit of the church and that is why God has given it to us. Um, so helpful to see it as a positive thing but as you say to take the, the focus off ourselves what is this doing for me well that's not the point what is it doing what is God doing with it for other people yeah. I found that a really helpful way of just um, reconfiguring um, what is sometimes a, a difficult phrase so given that given that singleness is a, a gift that we are to use to serve the church I wonder Sam if you could just um, talk about some of the ways um that your singleness has been used by God uh, for others? What are the sort of opportunities that have come for you to serve the church in different ways because of that? Well, I, at the moment, I my ministry is somewhat itinerant. Um, I just literally don't think I could do what I'm doing if I was married, or at least I probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing um, <laughs> if I was married. So I, it, it gives me the opportunity to be teaching and traveling a lot um and being able to serve the the wider church in that particular way um but even when i was in parish ministry it was still i was still conscious of the fact that i didn't need to be home for, for the the kids for tea time each day and i i could be more flexible with how i used my time i it was easier for me if there was a, a crisis for someone it was easier for me than it might be for other colleagues for me to drop everything and go and, and attend to, to a crisis or something. So just that the time and capacity changes. It doesn't mean every single person has more capacity than every married person. It just means we have a different type of capacity. Yes, yeah, so I think um, we have to be careful about that because sometimes, in fact, and I and you talk about this a minute, sometimes single people, in a way, you have less capacity because you don't have somebody else being your backup you know we don't yeah. no I mean not every married person has this but often a married person in ministry has someone at home sorting out the washing and making sure there's food on the table and and all that sort of stuff and, and even single, just you is don't. there as as an emotional support yes. and strength as well and I, I know so many people in ministry who are very effective but I know that a significant part of their effectiveness is because is because of their spouse their spouse is is rooting for them and helping them and cheering them on so there's, we're all wired in different ways and have different mm. temperaments and emotional, different levels of emotional need and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's there's a flexibility we have if we're single mm. that we don't have if we're married. And depending on how we're we're wired emotionally, some of us will have greater capacity and need for friendship than others. And we'll need to figure out how that works too. So it, it mustn't just be that, oh, the the single person on the staff team can work every evening and every weekend because 
at some point we need to make some friends and be with people <laughs> yes absolutely um, one of the things I loved um, that comes across a lot in the book is how engaged you are in family life and that is something which um, is not necessarily an obvious thing for, for somebody who's single um, to, to be so involved in family life can you just talk a bit about how that as a single person is both an encouragement to you and also maybe to the families how does that work yeah, it, it will totally depend on the, the families and the friendships and how they've developed and, and all the rest of it. But I enjoy family life. Um, so when when friends with kids have said, hey, do you want to help muck in with bedtime routines and stuff? I'm always up, totally up for that. It's good fun. So um, it's, it's fun being able to to be a part of a family and not merely feel like you're a, a very occasional spectator yeah. and it's also nice that you're not just being given the kind of Instagram side of, of family life but you're there for the tantrums and all the, the kind of fights and tears as well yes but I, I, don't... I hope it's I hope it's a blessing to the family too because I think it's good for kids to see other worked examples of the Christian faith other than mum and dad and not no no Christian couple, however mature and gifted, are going to be able to cover every aspect of their child's Christianity in the best way. And there'll be some areas of life where they may not be the best people to help their kids. So it's good for the kids to have other mm. forms of input as well. And and great, actually, for kids to have someone who is single as a role model, you know, for kids who may grow up and not get married themselves or not get married for a long time to actually have seen well what can single life look like as well as have seen what married life looks like um in their family and their home Sam, i don't know whether your friends are at this stage or not but my friends are at the stage where their children are i mean some of them still have little children but some of them have really stroppy teenagers and <laughs> there's something about being part of family life when teenagers are around that you really don't just get the instagram side of life because they <laughs> they they don't care who they are having their strop in front of and um yeah you you certainly get a different um side of uh of uh, life as well when you see that which is is good because it just reminds you that the grass isn't always completely green on the other side of the fence and family totally. life can be at times agonizing so it's good to see have a rounded view of it totally and even um you know the kind of fun stuff that you talked about before you know which is fun uh you know being around kids at that sort of time and being involved in their life in that sort of way but even then there's there is <laughs> something very relieving sometimes when you can you can hand back over to the permanent parent when there's a real oh, crisis and yeah. um you know and you just think yeah actually this is fine for a couple of days i'm quite glad i don't do this every every single day relentlessly no matter what um so some great things uh, about being single. i i wonder one of the things i feel as well is a real privilege about being part of more than one family um and just seeing different ways of how families can work and different ways of doing things. And I find that that has been a really helpful thing in ministry, um, mm. to be able to share different kinds of experiences and have seen different kinds of children, different kinds of parents, different kinds of crises that they've gone through. And I mean, I guess you get that to some extent involved in pastoral ministry anyway, but there's something about living that uh, in amongst families, which um, perhaps if you're a married person, 
you only sort of experience your one family often. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah, so some good things, but there are challenges. What are, what are some of the hardest challenges um, of being single? Do you think? I mean, it varies, and and singleness looks so different mm. at different stages of life. So single singleness in your twenties is totally different to singleness in your forties, which is different to singleness in your sixties. So, I found it. People I know who are older than me say singleness in their 60s is so much more fun than it was in their 40s because a lot of their contemporaries are now empty nesters and are mm. back back on the kind of friendship circuit and yeah. social again. Um, I've, I found 40s to be difficult. Um, I think because I've I felt that a lot of my friendships have become quite asymmetrical okay. in that because the vast majority of my friends are married they don't need my friendship as much as I need theirs because they already have someone who's much, much closer to them. And I found that difficult. I've got a, a, a wider range of friends, but it still feels like I'm rightly, I guess, far de- further down the list of what I mean to them than they are of what they mean to me. Mm. And that can just be, at times, that's just difficult because you'd, you'd love to be... Yeah. You'd love to mean more to someone. There's something about that. I think I, I mostly I'm very content in my singleness and don't really want to get married at all. But there is something just occasionally thinking it would be nice to come first with somebody. Yeah. To, to be their first priority. Um, and sometimes, that yeah, that's something I think, yeah, that we feel we don't quite get. Um, and, you know, I, I'm fortunate that I've got a group of friends that we always take a week's holiday together every year. Which is great, and that's that's more than some people have. Um, but it's still very hard. I, th- I think of places I'd love to visit, and people keep offering me, you know, oh, we our family has a, a timeshare or a something you can go and use anytime. I'm like, that's great. I just don't want to go there on my own. That's right. the only thing. Right. Feel so free. having people to do stuff with is is yeah. tricky, and often families need a fair bit of notice and. Yeah things and, and obviously people can't necessarily go away with you for a day or for a weekend so that that kind of stuff I find is is harder yes it's interesting so I'm I'm a really pretty strong expert so the holiday on my own is my ideal holiday um but what I find is um I do still need to spend time with people and I'm really bad at making myself do that and and having to be the one to take the initiative often with that is something that is not natural to me and yet often is the, the way that that needs to be and um you know it's yeah hmm. there are things that and i think the, the friends that have come to me a lot to me are the ones where i sense there is at least some mutuality in terms of where the initiative is coming from yeah. that it's not always me with my kind of relational cap in hand saying hey can, yeah. I, can I grab some time with you at some point? Yeah, um, um, I was when when I knew I was going to be talking to you about this. I, I talked to a couple of uh, other single friends last week about you know see if they had any suggestions of what we should discuss. One of the things that came up, which I thought was really interesting, was around the whole um, area of how other people view us when we're single or treat us hmm. when we're single. Other people in terms of uh, speculation about why we might be single, in terms of trying to set us up with other people. I remember being really taken aback about 10 or 15 years ago when a friend suddenly said to me, do you know, Ros, I'm praying every day that you'll meet a nice man. And I, I was just like, 
why you know why surely you have more important things to be praying about than that (laughs) and you know I hadn't ever really given her any reason to think that that was something that was an urgent priority for me and yet she's in and I I wonder if you have any thoughts on just particularly thinking about this as a book for people who are not necessarily single themselves how we can do better at that sort of yeah way that we relate to single people and again it will flow out of how we see singleness if we see singleness as a sign of incompleteness Mm. then we will be praying fervently daily for our single friends to to find someone if we see it as a intrinsically good thing yes with challenges but intrinsically good then actually we'll be we'll be rooting for people in their singleness and appreciative of appreciative of them as a single person rather than seeing them as a a real person in waiting mm. once they get married I see this particularly in, in some churches I've had a lot of younger women say that they that the main categories of, of womanhood their church has given them has been wife and mother and so they don't feel like their womanhood is, is yet a gift to the church unless or until they get married. Yeah. I think and that's again, really that, that true. That doesn't help. It's really true. I think the only time in my life where I would have actively said, yes, I'd like to be married, was probably my late teens, early 20s. And it was exactly for that reason. I'd just become a Christian. I knew I wanted to, you know, do whatever I could with my life to serve the Lord. And the the only women that I knew who were doing that, who were sort of 10, 20, 30 years older than me, we're all married and many of them were married yeah. to vicars and and it just seemed like oh that that's how I do that that's what I should want and it's just not true but actually yeah we need to be telling women that and also showing them that and yeah I think that maybe there is something gendered about that um in the way that I think there is that. it's much less the case for mm. for, for men um the, the kind of view of masculinity that most churches have it doesn't depend on you being married for your masculinity to no. be no. A blessing to although, the church. Although you do mention in the book, and I think this is right, there there is often a prejudice when appointing pastors of churches. Yes. People desperately want someone who's married and has got a family, and not just because of the sort of ready-made Sunday school that they might bring with them, but, but they, yeah, and the sort of two-for-one deal and all that kind of thing. But yeah. there's something about just their married state that somehow we think is more appropriate for Yes, there might ministry. be something a bit weird or odd about them if they're not married. Yes, and why might that be, and yeah, yeah. all the rest of that. Um, I just want to, as we come to finish, Sam, I was very struck in your conclusion. Um, you talk about setting out to write a book that talks about the goodness of singleness, but ended up thinking about more about the goodness of God. And I wondered if you could just explain how does thinking about the goodness of singleness, and also maybe marriage, point us toward or lead us toward thinking and understanding more of the goodness of God? Well, the, the gift is always a reflection of the giver. And it was thinking through what the Bible says about singleness, it showed me its intrinsic goodness, and its intrinsic goodness is, is bound up with the God who's given it to us and who, who came up with it in the first place. And again, seeing how singleness points, just as marriage points to our relationship with Christ in the church, so too does singleness in the sense that it shows us the state we will be in the age to come and so I began to see singleness through that lens and that that made a difference to me because it, it that reinforced to me okay my singleness is actually even though I hadn't been thinking about this much 
my singleness is actually uh, a way of experiencing testifying to growing in the sufficiency of Jesus and what does that say about Jesus that actually he's enough yeah not that we don't need other people and other relationships but that we don't have to be married to be whole and complete if we have Christ and in fact we have more in him even if we're single than people who don't know him have if they're married Um, that's an arresting thought and that says something very beautiful and big about Jesus great thank you so much for talking to us to talking to us sam um the book is out now i think i've put a link to that on the blog post that goes with this podcast um i i highly recommend it i was slightly nervous because like i say not always the best track record with books about singleness but actually i really enjoyed this and was really encouraged by it thank you so well thanks much. for reading it and thanks for having me you're very welcome we seem to be going through a little bit of a, a book phase in the podcast at the moment. We had Lee talking last week about gospel flourishing in a time of confusion, the latest Church Society book. Sam this week, obviously, with his book. And next week is our actual monthly book review podcast. Amanda and I have been reading Jackie Hill Perry's uh, autobiography, sort of, story of uh, how she came to, to faith and what that has looked like for her. That is Gay Girl, Good God. So we'll be talking about that on the podcast next week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, do remember to subscribe to it. Uh, Why not think about sharing it uh, with other people? If you have any comments or suggestions, we'd love to hear them. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can tweet us at Church Society. And you can always email me, ros at churchsociety.org. Thank you so much for listening.